0: Always grateful for the Lord's providence. He knows how to arrange things. Um, As most of you know, should know, we had hoped this year to be able to bring on an associate pastor. Uh, We've been working through having that happen. And, of course, Al Sable is who we had in mind, wanted to see all this develop. And things have been stretched out a bit. Uh, We haven't been able to get things together as we would like. But for this morning, since Al and Judy are with us, and Al's here. From, they're down from Boston. They live in Cape Cod. He works in, in just outside of Boston at Bose, by the way, for all you stereo people. Um, so hit him up for freebies if you can and pass, pass them along to me, and then we'll sell them on eBay. Um, <laughs> We have to do something about this. As it turns out, uh, I actually physically would not be able to preach this morning anyway. I am just uh, too weak and and unable. So uh, this worked out in the most uh, wonderful way that they were able to be here this weekend. And he was able to come and share with us and to preach to us from Psalm 55. So, brother, if you'll come and deliver your heart, we will receive.
1: Well, it's great to be with you again. Seems like uh, our our hearts are always blessed when we're back here. And uh, in Cape Cod, we worship uh, in a church that uh, in the summertime, we have lots of people that are there, lots of visitors. In the wintertime, it's pretty slim. And when I hear the singing here, it's always such a blessing for, for me in particular, it always... I always feel undone before I even come up here emotionally, uh, but it's it's great to be back here again, and we are working uh, as hard as we can to to get here. Uh, uh, God willing, it won't be too much longer. Um, I, I must say one thing uh, by way of warning uh, before I begin. Uh, in the providence of God, on the way here, uh, Judy and I stopped in. A Burger King or something, on the way here for dinner on the thruway on Friday. And uh, I looked down at my watch, and it wasn't working. The battery died. Um, and that thing back there I can hardly see. It's so far away. So, um, you know, if I see crudely written signs for food and water being <laughs> held up, uh, I will step down. But please forgive me uh, because of that. I, I feel really naked without without the timepiece. Would you stand with me as we read Psalm 55 together? Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, Oh that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in the midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently against me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend, We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. and Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan. And he hears my voice, he redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me, God will give ear and humble them, he is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends, he violated his covenant, his speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, and yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O oh God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction, men of blood, And treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. You may be seated. Join me in a a brief word of prayer before we begin. Father, we thank you for your holy word. Lord, I pray that you would lift us up at this hour. Help us, O God, to be able to speak in such a way that the sun will be lifted up. O God, would you speak to each of our hearts, for we each find ourselves before you today in various states of distraction and discomfort and sadness. And I pray, Lord, that you would lift up the light of your countenance upon us. That this hour would be unique in our life, And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> so my thesis this morning, what motivated me to pick this topic is um, that I have seen in, in various places in God's kingdom, in the Church of God, various folks that are struck with a malady of depression and discouragement. Um, and uh, what I would like to do is, is, is give us all some investment advice this day on where we can invest for greatest return and um, where we can rejoice in what God has done in our lives and set aside some of these distractions that weigh us down that are common to every man and every woman in this place. If you're walking, you know, rejoicing in the newness of God every day in your life, then praise God, you know, just feel bad for the people around you. There's a lot of sour Sammies. No offense to Sammy where's Sammy. A lot of sad people, discouraged people, disappointed people. And I find that disappointment in particular is an area where uh, we get ourselves disoriented and we forget what God has done in our lives. So the background of Psalm 55 is, I think, is is a wonderful illumination tool for us to see. This common ailment is in all of our lives at one time or another. And if we invest in relationships, relationships of all kinds, as the more you invest, the more there's the potential of of loss if those relationships don't pan out. And that can be all kinds of relationships. I don't know if we have any sports fans here. Um, we, you know, we live in Boston. I'm invested in the Patriots. Uh, I, I, you know, I know that we're back in New York now, and theoretically I should be a Giants fan. I don't like the Giants. Uh, I, I, Sorry to say, I kind of hate the Giants. But anyways... Um, I fear what's going to happen there. But I'm invested in the Patriots, and I can get worked up over silly little things like a football game. Here are these millionaires out there playing football, and, and they're going to lose. They're going to go home to their mansions and their yachts, and they're going to feel bad for five minutes and then be fine. you know. And then we go around mourning. Um, I, in the 80s, I was invested in Syracuse basketball. Yeah, Can you imagine such a silly thing? I would lose sleep before a game. And if they lost, they would lose sleep after the game. It's a silliness, but we invest in these things. We invest our emotions and our desires in in various things. It's so easy to get devastated. Um, This morning, we consider the great King David the mighty man of valor, the man of war, you know, remember, he came back from battles and the thing that distracted Saul and got Saul so upset is the ladies were singing a song. They said, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. He was a great man of war. And yet in this, um, we see that he becomes despondent. He becomes despondent, not because he's been attacked by some great enemy in battle, but because he's been disappointed by the betrayal uh, he suffered from those that were closest to us. Uh, could you put Psalm 55 back up there? If you look at verse 12, you know, there There in verse 12, we, we we see some of this. For it's not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. You know, the problem in this Psalm, the, the thing that distracted David was that Ahithophel and Absalom, his son, Uh, Ahithophel was his advisor, his trusted counselor, and his son rose up against him and tried to kill him and take his throne. That was devastating to him. I mean, it's one thing to have your enemy attack you. It's another thing to have your friends attack you. And in verse 13, um, we see even further, but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Can you imagine? Have you ever had this experience? I'm sure you have. You're walking along with somebody arm in arm, and you're intimately connected to this person. You've seriously invested in this relationship, and then the next thing you know, he's attacking you. He's tearing you down. In this case, he's trying to kill you. And you can sense the shock and the dismay in David's heart when you read verse 13. I could take it if it was an enemy, but it's you. Spurgeon had this great statement. He was filled with great statements his entire life. None are such enemies as false friends. You know, imagine the grief. Imagine the sadness. David was invested in these people, and yet they turned on him. Now we see the mystery of the Scripture as we look into this psalm. And the mystery is that although David was writing of his own situation, uh, this psalm, is uh, it's called a masculine, it's a didactic poem. It's a poem that was put to music. Why? Why do you suppose it was put to music? Anybody just shout shout out a bad answer or a good answer, I don't know. No, they, they he wanted to remember it. He wanted it to be memorized. If you put something to music, you know, when you're you're teaching your children, if you put something to music, our brains are built in such a way that if it's music we can remember it. And and, and the idea here is David's writing these things and it's being put to music with stringed instruments, exactly. Think of Glenn and, I don't know, it was a guitar or what it was. So that it could be easily recalled and put to use. But the mystery here is that although David's writing of a situation that occurred in his own life, the Holy Spirit is guiding David so that he's looking ahead to Jesus. Jesus said, all of the Old Testament speaks of me. And you can see Christ in this. In fact, you can call this a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that looks ahead to the sufferings of the Lord. And so we see in the words of David, the words of Christ. And the indication of the bleeding heart of Christ. You know, have you ever gone to the mall and you see these paintings... Or pictures, they're not paintings, they're they're actually digitally composed. And you look at them and they're a nice scene. But you stare at them, you stare at them long enough, these are called stereograms. Uh, stereo, two, uh, two images in one. If you stare at that image long enough, what happens? You see another image coming through. Uh, my wife looked it up and she said, if you put your thumb in front of you and you bring your thumb in like this, the second image will come back. And that's what we have in this psalm. We have a stereogram. In essence, we see Christ in the midst of David's words. And that's magical in my opinion, to see the hidden image of Christ come through here. And in our text, um, if we listen carefully, you can hear the words of Christ. And the reason I had Hod read... The passage in Matthew is um, obviously uh, looking ahead to uh, the rejection and betrayal that Jesus received. Uh, We have a wonderful, wonderful picture. And consider this for a minute. You know, in all of our suffering, in all of our uh, difficulties, for some reason it helps us to know that Jesus has gone through the same thing. It brings us comfort to know that Jesus has also suffered in similar way. And especially remember that we're talking about disappointment as it relates to relationships that didn't bear the fruit that you had expected when you invested in that relationship. Think of this. When Jesus came to the earth, the first chapter of the Gospel of John tells us that he came to his own people John 1, verse 9. And yet His people did not receive Him. They rejected Him. Unless you think that that didn't trouble Christ. Unless you think that that didn't burden Christ. Look at Him at the end of His public ministry as He's coming into Jerusalem. And He looks over the city of Jerusalem and He does what? He begins to weep. And He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, would that I could have gathered you like a, like a chick gathers its hens. And gathers its chicks <laughs> he was deeply set aside emotionally uh, by the rejection of the people of God, and then even further, uh, if you look at verse twelve and thirteen, you see Christ, you see Christ in this, in this verse twelve, and you think of Judas, one of the twelve that rejected him and betrayed him. You don't think that caused our Lord grief. You don't know our Lord Jesus. Even further, consider the closeness of the Apostle Peter. And in Luke's Gospel, towards the end of the Gospel in the 22nd chapter, we have that picture where Jesus has been hauled in front of the high priest and he's been challenged as who do you think you are, etc. And just outside is Peter. Right. What's Peter doing? He's sitting at a little fire, warming himself, and he's being challenged by some slave girl who says you were with him. And he says, no, I don't know that guy. And as he does his third denial of the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens? Jesus turns. This is where Luke's different than any of the other Gospels, because it says Jesus turns and it must have been an archway or something from the inner and the outer Courtyard there, and Jesus makes eye contact with Peter. Can you imagine? In the heart of Christ, think of the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was there pouring out his whole soul before the Lord, saying, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And he had hoped that his three closest disciples would be there with him. And what are they doing? Sleeping. And then, as we go through this cascade, this escalation of grief, consider the cross itself. Consider the passage we had read this morning. Uh, this has to be the ultimate rejection. Think of it. From the time, the entrance of the ministry of submission, which is the 33 years of Jesus on this earth, He did everything He did for the purpose of fulfilling the Old Testament demands. He honored his father with every breath that he took in his 33 years of earthly existence. What happened? God rejected him. And I truly believe when I think of this event on the cross that when Jesus uttered those words, it wasn't just, it wasn't just fulfilling Psalm 22, verse 1. He was truly crying out from his heart and saying, why? This was a shocking experience to be rejected by the Father. It was a broken heart that was crying out. So, my hope this morning is, That as we look at Psalm 55, and as you think of Psalm 55 in the future, don't think of it as just one of those chapters that's buried in the book of Psalms and it's just David talking. And That Psalm 55 would be set apart from you for the rest of your life. As a vision of Christ in the heart of God, what was going on in his life as he suffered disappointment, discouragement rejection yes even betrayal and you know for you and i um i believe it's the height of pride for us to believe that we can go through these kind of disappointments in our life and not be impacted spiritually there's so many of us i'm i'm of german descent and the german descent is the everything's fine i'm fine i am fine I will be fine. I am fine. We have a, a friend who just lost his wife. It, it, we have a, a Christian friend who uh, his wife, uh, he found out, uh, was having an affair with a fellow uh, science teacher in high school, and she threw off her profession of faith, and she left her husband. And about you know six months later, uh, I, he comes frequently to our church in, in Cape Cod, but he's not there all the time. And I've been contacting him and talking with him and praying with him, have phone conversations with him. But I saw him six months later, and I said, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. You're not fine, man. Your whole life is devastated, and, and, you know, you're acting like I'm fine. And I've learned that sometimes when people say they're fine, you know, there's a different way. My wife does this to me all the time. When I say to her, are you okay? I'm fine. You know, whenever you hear that, guys, my wife spells it differently. It's P-H-Y-N-E. And when I hear that, I know she's not fine. It's really pride for us to not acknowledge the fact that we are impacted by this malady of discouragement leading uh, to depression. And you know, I had Psalm 42 read. Because you look at the contrast between Psalm 42 and Psalm 55. In Psalm 42, David's discouraged because he's he's uh, dis, uh, disconnected from the people of God. He's in the wilderness. He can't be at the temple. He can't be worshiping. Of course, in the Old Testament, the presence of God was limited to the temple. And if you were outside the temple, you couldn't worship. Then you couldn't be with God, close to God. And that was leading to discouragement and depression. In fact, it was the root cause in Psalm 42 of David's discouragement. In Psalm 55, we have the very opposite. What we have is the manifestation of David's depression showing forth in a way that if you look at Psalm 55, verse 6. Um, Psalm 55. Is it up there? Yeah. Verse 6. And I say, "Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest." And verse seven: "Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Have you ever gotten to the point where you just wanted to take off? Do you wish you had wings? You could go away and isolate yourself in the wilderness? So in Psalm 42, David's saying, I'm discouraged and I'm depressed because I can't be with the people of God. In Psalm 55, he's discouraged and he wants to get away and go hide in the wilderness. Have you ever had the desire to become a hermit? Come on, be honest. I have, like usually every week. David says, I want to get away. It be like a bird. Now let's zoom in on this text a little bit. I promise I'll try to be done by one, two. Um, look at verse 2 of Psalm 55. Verse 2. He says, Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan. What I want you to see in these next several verses is the progress of this discouragement coming forth in David's writings. And remember, David is reflecting the, the mind of Christ. So you have in verse 2 the sense of restlessness, the sense of being unsettled. And that's the first manifestation of this kind of depression. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. I'm unsettled. And then in verse 4 he says, my heart is in anguish within me. So there's a progress of this discouragement. He's gone from restlessness or distraction to anguish. In verse 4b he says, the terrors of death have fallen on me. Again, further deep into this discouragement and depression, if you will, the terrors of death. He's afraid of dying, the fear of dying. Remember who we're talking about. Remember. Even the kids. The kids here. You've all read the stories about Mighty David. Remember, as a youth, he took the stones and he whipped them along. Remember, kids? And he killed that nine-foot-tall guy, Goliath? Yeah, yeah, go get him. This is David, the mighty man of war, the mighty man of valor, and yet he's saying he's scared of dying in verse 4b. And then verse 5. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. See how far he's gone? How deep he's gone? Into discouragement? Horror! All-consuming fear. Again, I think of Jesus. And I think of the Garden of Gethsemane. And you think of that moment when he was crying out to God, Deliver me from this death. All-consuming fear. He was consumed. That was real, folks. That wasn't just this, you know, I'm fulfilling things and I'm just getting it done and I know this is going to be over. And it's... He was fearful. So, in our case, spiritual depression can manifest itself in many ways. us. And the longer we're in this state, the more our souls are distracted from the joy of the Lord. Let's take a brief detour, and and I mean brief. I'm going to go through this very fast. Um, Spiritual depression manifesting itself differently in each of us. And and if you've never read uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones' book on spiritual depression, I recommend it wholeheartedly. Um, But don't dwell there forever. Just get in there, understand it, and get out. Um, because a lot of people use it as a justification for their melancholy for the rest of their Christian experience. You know, I'm just feeling... Anyways. Um, <laughs> manifestations of spiritual depression. Lack of energy, not physically caused. Indifference. Numbness. Things are going on around me, and I'm just numb to the whole thing. Anger. A lot of people manifest... We have different personalities, right, Bill? Bill? We have different personalities. We all manifest things differently. Some people get short-tempered when they're depressed and when they're in this kind of state. Sarcasm. General negativity. Some people are just, everything is negative. You know, you talk to them and after you're done, you feel like you're lower than a snake's hips and a wagon rut. And you just want to, blah. Coolness. Coolness, coolness to God. Uh, find no joy in fellowship. Don't seek it. Don't want it. Unbelief um, or very weak faith filled with doubts and the reality of Christianity, let alone your own faith. Behavioral excesses, manic behavior. Um, you know, some of us, when we get in this state, we work, 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 work. work. Or we maybe sleep, 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 sleep or eat, 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 eat. Um, I tend to eat when I'm discouraged, and the rest is obvious. Um, Some people talk when they're discouraged, and depressed. Just, you know, and you just, whoa, slow down here. Um, Fear of people, fear of death, isolation, like in the case of David, wanted to get away, just run, hide, hermit, become a hermit. I believe that the Psalms... The Psalms are God's gift to us as his people to give us guide and keys to break this tendency and to lift ourselves up and to have God lift us up. And that, you know, even in Psalm 42, and uh, Hod read it so well, twice in that Psalm, the psalmist is saying, why are you cast down, O my soul? What's up? We need to be our first defense in the sense that with the Holy Spirit's help, we need to understand why it is we're discouraged. Try to get to the root cause. So many times there's so many layers that it's hard to get to the root cause, but at least begin the process. Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. Now, the root causes of spiritual depression. Unconfessed sin. Just look briefly with me at Psalm thirty two. Uh, I don't have this I don't think we have this on on, on the slide, but look at Psalm thirty two if you have your Bibles with you, and look at Psalm thirty two verse three. For when I kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as with the heat of summer. Turn this back to Psalm 38, a couple of pages later. Psalm 38, and look with me at verse 1 and following. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk deep into me. Your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden they are too heavy for me these are manifestations of sin unconfessed sin we start there but it might not be anything specific in our lives that led us to that place it could be just a general drifting and and you know again temperamentally my wife always tells me that i have the kind of temperament that i can be uh, in a Very distracted, very difficult state, and nobody knows it because I'm just sort of this way. And I call it autopilot. Have you ever found that you've been in autopilot too long? And suddenly you're saying, this doesn't have much for me anymore. This whole Christian thing, you know, I hear the hymns, they don't affect me. I read the scriptures, it's like like a book. You ever had that? Hebrews talks about this in the first uh, part of the book. In chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews says it's like drifting away. Look at verse... You, know, you don't have to turn there, but Hebrews 2, verse 1. He talks about drifting. He, he's warning the people who are thinking about turning back away from Christianity. He says you're like drifting. You've just kind of gone into autopilot. And you're drifting away and you've become cold. It's a result of this kind of coasting or autopilot. A third uh, root cause could be false teaching. You have set yourself up by false teaching. You have caught yourself in the if-then trap. Do you know what the if-then trap is? The if-then trap is if I do the following things, boom, 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 then God will do the following things, boom, boom, boom. My expectation is that if I walk in a certain way, God's going to do a certain thing. And there's a lot of teaching out there that would tell you that's right on. And anybody who's been a Christian for more than a couple of weeks will tell you, that doesn't work for me. And remember the last time I was here, I was talking about that great passage in Isaiah 55 where God says, you thought my ways were like your ways. You thought I thought like you thought. Ain't so. He didn't say ain't so. So false teaching can set us up for discouragement. And fourthly, physical trials. And, you know, my wife and I have had our share of physical trials. For some reason, God blesses us beyond belief in some ways. And then in other ways, we are tested. And it's physically, usually. Um But... I remember years ago, many years ago, many years ago. I'm looking at Bill because we were around many years ago. I went to the hospital to visit Howard D. Jager. He had had some surgery. And if anybody knew Howard, he was very disciplined in his scripture reading. And, and I remember going to see him. And I was an elder, and I wanted to come take care of him. And this was in the 70s. And he said, I just don't feel like it. And I, You know, I just don't feel very Christian right now. He's in a hospital bed. You know, he's thinking more about basic functions. And physical trials, sickness, lack of sleep can can lead us to a point where we said, how did we get here? There is a wonderful passage, and Reed and I were talking about just this just last night, and it's in 1 Kings chapter 19 if you're taking notes, but there's a Beautiful picture in that passage of Elijah. And right after he's done doing what? He's slaying 400 prophets of Baal after the big challenge, and we don't have time to go into it, Wish we did. And he then runs to marathon, and he gets done, and all of a sudden he's scared to death of Jezebel. What's he do? He, he runs. He hides in a cave. And the beauty of 1 Kings 19 is the way the Lord restores him. What's the Lord do for him? He he allows him to sleep. He feeds him. He allows him to sleep again. He feeds him. And then he says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Remember that passage? What are you doing here in the cave? Well, I'm hiding out. No, what he does is he repeats to the Lord, well, I've been strong for you and I've done this and I've done that. And he said, what are you doing here? And the Lord restores him gently from his exhaustion. Stress can be the fifth cause. Stress uh, can be a joy robber. Uh, And there's all kinds of passages which deal with that, but if you're studying and you're dealing with this situation, take the whole epistle of 1 Peter. Peter's dealing with all of these trials and difficulties that came upon the early Christians. Don't be surprised if this stuff happens to you. It's common to us all. 1 Peter. Relationships. (laughs) I think, Al's opinion, the most common cause for discouragement and spiritual depression, relationships. So the solution is don't have any. We'll go home now. Uh, Was it the, uh, I'm trying to think, it was Charles Barnard or somebody who said, living with the saints in heaven will be glory, but on the earth it's a different story. Um relationships. And um the my wife says the love if you love hard, you hurt hard, right? If you love hard, you hurt hard. Relationships the more we invest, the more we put at risk. Where's Hod? I want to give some investment advice here in a moment, Hod. So forgive me. Um, I want to draw our attention to this particular aspect or cause of this of spiritual depression. This idea of disappointment, and and, and as I said, I think it's the most common a source or temptation to fall into uh, spiritual depression. Relationships, and it can come from any direction. Uh, C. H. Burgeon again said uh, he called these things vain regrets, vain regrets. So even in in, in relationships with uh, non-human relationships, uh, a career that never materialized. You know, perhaps you were one of one of these kids that um, is camped out on Wall Street. Because you went to college and you went to grad school and you got all done and you got A's and B's and you can't even buy a job. Or you've, you've started on in your career and you're 49 and you get laid off. And you go and you interview and you use the Grecian formula and all of those things to make yourself look better than you really are. And you can't buy a job. And your career's over and you're learning how to flip burgers. Um, perhaps it was skills that never developed, skills that you had worked very hard for. Uh, ladies were watching figure skating last night. and You know, you've seen those situations where somebody has spent their youth uh, from the time they were four years old, and, and, and the parents are paying for huge, uh, expensive lessons, and, and they're up at four in the morning to get to the ice rink, and, and then they get their moment in the sun, and they fall on their... Posterior, and it's over. Um, relationships. I-, I always dreamed I could, I would, there would be some day where I would play uh, the lead in the Hotel California on my guitar, you know?
0: <laughs>
1: I think it's the greatest rock song ever. Uh, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Um, age limitations hit you before you had the opportunity uh, to accomplish some great event. So many of us live in the future. We're dreaming of what's going to happen in the future. And we spend all of our energies thinking about the future, and then the next thing you know, we're 65 or something, and it's, it's over. Uh, and we're saying, well, wait a minute. I've been preparing for something that just never happened. And, and it leads to discouragement, opportunity. Remember Lyle? Remember Lyle Sumner? He used to say this great thing. He said, you know, I keep waiting for my ship to come in, and I'm figuring I'm going to be at the train station.
0: <laughs>
1: That's a Lyleism. Lyle struggled constantly with discouragement. So it's especially devastating, I think, when it comes to personal relationships. <sighs> think about it. When, when you've had a relationship and you blew it, you live in the retrospective memory of how you blew it because you did this or said that, and you blew it. Have you ever just wanted to kick yourself if you had the anatomical capability to do that? Because you blew it, and you live with that, and it just grates at you like one of those shredders that you rub your knuckles down on accidentally, but you're doing it constantly with a memory of how you blew it. Children are a blessing from the Lord. This is another one. And you, you know, you parents, this is, you invest big time in your children. You live, in a way, sometimes, for your children. And you have great visions as to what's going to happen when they grow up. They're going to be a missionary, or they're going to be Charles and Spurgeon, or they're going to be. And then, you know, some of them don't even walk with the Lord, and it breaks your heart, and you're disappointed, and you have to live with that disappointment, and you can't change it. And when you're older, you can't even say anything uh, because you have to learn how to pray more and say less. Right? Older parents? and That's not easy for some of us. Maybe it's a, a woman who marries a man with the intention that this, this marriage is going to be wonderful. And I'm going to take this guy and I'm going to invest in him and he's going to be great and he's going to be just like the Bible talks about a husband should be for the wife. And, you know, you have a situation where the husband doesn't turn out that way. We've seen this. You've seen this. And perhaps you've experienced it. It leads to great disappointment. And there's probably nothing more that you invested in this life than your relationship with your spouse, right? So your husband has let you down or your wife has let you down. You've gone through that. And we take these things and we bury them into our soul. And it robs us of the joy we have as God's people. The churches let you down. The pastor let you down. The elders let you down. You know, I expected this, I expected that, and it hasn't turned out. Friends let you down. In the case of friends like this uh, friend of David's, uh, he turned against him, let him down. And so all of these things, if we don't deal properly, if we don't deal biblically, with these kinds of disappointments in our life, we will be like so many Christians today, evangelicals that that claim to be Christians and yet walk around like they're zombies. They're half alive. And they don't sense the presence of God in their life, and yet discipline and and their willingness and their duty of walking as a Christian continues on, and yet they're just kind of sleepwalking. They're not alive. And you see this constantly. I've seen it in my own life from time to time. And I'm here to say it's a malady that falls on us all from time to time. We have to deal with it. How do we deal with it? Well, first of all, remember that we have an elder brother who we share this experience with, right? Right? That's the very first thing. We have to recall this, that our elder brother shares this experience. However, it is different in that in every human relationship or in every discouragement that we've encountered, we have to admit one thing, and that is that there's two sides to every story. We have to confess that we didn't exactly perform perfectly in that relationship. And when it goes south, when it goes bad, we have to say that there's some blame that can be shared by us, right? That we do not have in common with our elder brother Jesus. He did nothing. He was 100% right in his relationships with man and his heavenly Father. 100% of his life was perfect. 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 And yet God rejected him on the cross. And it broke his heart. It broke his heart. Think about that. But we need an action plan. We need an investment strategy. We need to know how we can best invest in something that will give us life. And that investment plan needs to optimize our opportunity. I sound like Hod, I know. Uh, We want to optimize our opportunity for the future. So first thing you need to learn before you make any investment is invest carefully. You always hear those disclaimers, right, on the TV commercials for if you sign up with me, you're going to be fine. But invest carefully. Invest carefully. We must know that everyone on the earth has fallen. Every person on the earth has fallen, including me, including you. Do not demand perfection. If you demand perfection out of me, if you demand perfection out of anyone, if you demand perfection out of yourself, anybody guilty of that? Perfectionists? Anything short of perfection, I'm going to be disappointed. My heart's going to be broken, and I'm going to say, that's it. No more. So the first thing is invest wisely and know the route to which we all come. We are fallen. But if we invest wisely and we understand who our Heavenly Father is, we will never, 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 never be forsaken. We will never be betrayed. We will never, never be discouraged. God our Father knows best for us and will only take us where we need to go. And again, think of the high priest. We have this in in common with our high priest. And when we are discouraged or disappointed or depressed, we go to Jesus. He can honestly say, I've been there. I know what you're talking about. We have that relationship with Jesus. Yet many of us just act like he's not praying for us. He's not there for us. I have a dear friend that um, lost her husband about the same time Ivan died. And She just said to me last week, well, you know, this business about God being your husband, well, it's just not true. And it is true that God has given her a substitute in many ways, but in essence, she's sort of doing this. I refuse to hear it. I refuse to see it. I refuse to accept it. And we just constantly need to remind her that God is there for you and He hasn't forsaken you. He's still hearing your cries. Your cries in the night. And the Comforter. He will always be with you. He will always guide you through disappointment. Well, what did David do? We'll hurry up and we'll be done. Look at Psalm 55 and verse 16. Psalm 55, verse 16. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. First thing, call to God. The Psalms are here. And what, what do you see constantly in the Psalms? I cried to God. I called to God. And he heard me. We have a heavenly Father. Yes, I wish that we could have something physical to grasp, wish that we could have somebody visibly next to us to talk to us. But in the words of Christ, I call to God and the Lord will save me. Did the Lord save Jesus? Think of the cross. The rejection. Think of three days later. Raised up. He was raised up. Life came back. Think of that. Now look at David's part in verse 17 of Psalm 55. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. What do you sense from that? Are we supposed to have three times a day where we pray? No. What David's talking about here is con- constantly crying out to God. When he's saying morning, noon, and night, he's saying this is a continual action on my part. I'm crying out to God. I'm crying out to God fervently, and he hears my voice. And then in verse 18, he redeems my soul and safety from the battle that I wage for many are arrayed against me. Look, put down your sword. Put down your weapon. God is your defender. God will avenge your enemies. God hears us, and he will take care of the situation that we find ourselves in. Simply trust in Him in these situations. Verse twenty-two: Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That is a promise. That's a promise, folks. Grab it. He will never permit it. And don't trivialize this passage. Do not trivial. It's easy for me to say trivialize this passage. Cast your burdens on the Lord. You don't need to go around to 50 people and tell them about your situation to look for strength. Cast your burdens upon the Lord. Put the sword down. Put the weapon down. Cast your burdens on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us this day. Would you unite our hearts to fear your name? Our hearts are divided over so many things, so many concerns, so many worries. Unite our hearts to fear your name. And would you replace unbelief with strong faith that we might believe in your promises, that you will never forsake your, your people, that you will never allow the righteous to be moved, and that those things which we encounter are for our good. We ask that you would be honored by our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.